Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. Let's hop into our teaching today. We're gonna, this is, we started talking about our address last week, where you live. And we're in this series called My House, His Home. And we're asking the question, what would it look like for me to dedicate my house, my address to Jesus? And when I say that, that means different things to different people. Some of you are still in high school. You don't own a home. Or maybe you do own a home. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't assume that anymore. But you live in somebody else's home or apartment, or condo, or van, or tent, or wherever it is that you live. Some of you are in different seasons of life, and you say, well, when, when you say house, it's, I don't have a single family house. I'm, I just want you to understand, whenever we talk about your house, let's make it broad. It's wherever you put your head to sleep at night. The address where you receive mail. It is the place, the dwelling where you live, whether you are just an occupant, a child, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, an adopted one, and foster care with your parents. I want it to be big and broad. I don't want anybody to feel excluded from that. Wherever it is that you shelter regularly in January of 2022, that's your house. That's what we mean. I also understand that, that whenever we talk about making some decisions about what life is like at your house, Depending on who you are and what role you play, we all have different levels of responsibility when it comes to making decisions at home. I get that while we're preaching. If you hear something, you say, "Mm, I wish my house where I lived was more like that, but I don't have a whole lot of say in it. Okay, find where you have influence in it. There's a difference between responsibility at home and influence at home. For example, my wife and I, we own a home with, and we provide that home for ourselves and for our two boys ages nine and four. When it comes to how the bills get paid, my boys at this point in their life have zero contribution to that. Mom and dad have full responsibility for those things. So when we talk about, you know, how would I make a, create maybe a more peaceful home? God's going to hold me responsible, but my nine-year-old and four-year-old, oh, they have influence in how peaceful it can be at home. So you might be sitting here today saying, well, I don't have the responsibility for deciding what we talk about at my house. I don't have the responsibility for paying the rent or paying the mortgage. Okay, but do you have influence at home? Do you have influence in your attitude, in your character, in your conversations, in your choices? As you're listening to this today, Just think through the lens of what influence and responsibility you have to act on what we're talking about. Basically, even if you weren't here last week, here's what we concluded. Number one, you cannot surprise God. Amen? And think about, okay, oh, that was resounding. You can't surprise God, right? Amen? Now, why? Because he knows everything. It's impossible to surprise somebody who knows it's coming. (laughs) But beyond that, not only can you not surprise God, God is not coincidental. He is strategic. So what does that mean when it comes to your address? What that means is this. When you, for whatever, whether you decided or you were assigned to the address you have today, that does not in any way surprise God. He knew 
where you'd live in January 2022. He knew what room you would sleep in. He knew the color of the sheets. He knew the color of the curtains, if you have them. He knew what temperature it would be in your room. And in some houses, that is not a source of peace. In my house, it would be a, it would be a nice like 64 degrees year-round for me. The other three, it would be 88 degrees year-round. And so you know what? It's 88 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. He knew all those things. He knew you'd live in the, in the state you live in, the city you live in, the building you live in, the van you live in, the YouTube channel you'd run to talk about the van that you live in. He knew all those things. None of those things surprised him. And on top of that, they're not coincidental. Coincidence means things just kind of happen and if one thing that kind of happens for no real rhyme or reason seems to overlap and intersect with another thing that which seems to have no rhyme or reason and some greater mystery is unraveled what a coincidence happenstance chance god doesn't operate that way putting it all together god not only knew from the foundation of the world where you would live today there's a reason why he has you living where you are today. It is both true to say you had free will to decide where you would live and also that God knew exactly and determined where you would live. And in some mysterious way, he has strategy and purpose for your address. There's something in his imagination about the kind of environment he prefers for you to live in that he imagines for you. There's purpose in your dwelling place for your benefit, and there's purpose in your dwelling place for others' benefit. Today, we're gonna just really get super practical, narrow this down. I've been asking you to think about, and you got a card on your way in. I've been asking you to think about dedicating the place where you live to the Lord this year. Dedicate means to set apart for a special purpose. Some of you know about your pastor, I am OCD. That means I'm obsessive and compulsive. I'm more obsessive than compulsive, so maybe I'm just, no, I don't want to say OD. That's a whole different thing. I have not OD'd on anything. But I, I like, I find peace in things being organized and left the way that I like them without anybody else's grubby mitts moving them around. This is a, I think it's a good thing other people have called it a problem. Um, they need to get with the program. But I don't have many spaces in my life that I can control. That's not a good word. Um, Okay, control the way that I want to. Um, I live with three other human beings. But there are a few drawers and shelves in my home for my tools and my things. I don't like anybody else going into those places. I, if they go into those places, I want to know beforehand they went in. I want to know what they wanted to take. And I want to know it was returned in the same or better condition to the place where I expect it to be when I go look for it. I have some shelves and drawers dedicated to my tools. And I also have a shelf dedicated to my specific 
cleaning products that I use to, some of you know I have an eBay store and I regularly buy old things and I resell them. And the goal is to resell them for more money than I paid for them. Otherwise, this is a terrible enterprise. And so I have different compounds and things I've used over the years to clean up things before I photograph to sell them. So, you know, my simple green and my all these different types of... Uh, you know, my Evapo rust, and I won't even name all the things because they, they, there's some gentle ones and then there's some heavy-duty ones, but they're all arranged on the shelf, labels facing in a way that I can see them from tall to... I do have issues. These are what I'm talking about. I see the glazed-over looks in your eyes and terror in some of your eyes. You're like, you really do have issues. Um, those spaces are dedicated to those things. I don't want other stuff on those shelves. I can tell. I can tell just by look. Sometimes I can even just sense like, ooh, the door wasn't closed the right way. I bet someone's been in and out of there while I wasn't here. This is kind of what it looks like to dedicate a space to something. Would you be willing to consider dedicating the place where you live, the room where you sleep, the locker that you share, whatever it is? What would it look like to dedicate that to the Lord and his purposes? I want to get I want to make that more practical this week. I've the Bible teaches a lot about God's intention for the place where you dwell. The environment, the temperature, the sound, the feel. It's almost like he wants your dwelling place to be this gigantic wireless charging station that you know no matter what happens in life your dwelling place is the place where you can connect deeply with God. You can be encouraged by him. You can learn from him. You can be around people who will build into your life. And you're thinking, that does not describe my room at all. <laughs> well, you have some say in this. There's two ways in life people who don't have peace try to get it. Let me give them to you. One of them is by trying to control the circumstances and the externals and force them to be more peaceful. The other way is by surrendering the internals and saying, even if I can't change my neighbor, my boss, my job, my finances, the, you know, the number on a scale, I can find inside of me peace. One of these ways is the world's way. You can't have peace until you get a raise, until you graduate high school, until you get a driver's license, until you make this amount of money, until you have this amount of stuff, until you have love, until you find marriage, until you get a divorce, depending on where you are in the continuum. I can't have peace until this person says they're sorry. And you know, every time you do that, you put yourself under somebody else's control. And you give them permission to tell you whether you can have peace or not. I have just gotten to a place in my life where I'm tired of letting those things tell me whether or not I can have peace. What if I can have the type of peace that says even when the waves come and the winds come and the storms come, I'm not going to collapse because I'm built on the right foundation. I want your house where you live to be a place where that type of peace, where that type of purity, where that type of learning and love can be established in your life. In fact, those are the four terms that I've landed on. There's more than that. But if we were to, if we were to knock on the door of a house that has been dedicated to the Lord and I say, come with me on a field trip, let's kind of go into the laboratory and see what it looks like. What would that look like if you walked into a house that's truly dedicated to the Lord? Well, if you go through the Bible and look what he says about 
Look what the Lord says through the authors about characteristics of a home that the Lord's pleased with. You'll see a bunch of things, but I just picked four um, because I could find two of them. That's two groups that start with the same letter. But no, these are kind of the lowest hanging fruit. I know if we can start there, you can get someplace. And as you listen this morning, I want you to think about your property. Sometimes, some of you are in a place in life where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to build a house that's dedicated to the Lord. We've not ever thought about this before. We're totally for it, or I'm totally for this. I've not thought about it before. I need to build this. Others of you are thinking, I have built for myself a home that I live in or a room that I live in. Um, There's going to be some demolition required if I'm going to make it look like this. Others of you are saying, I've got some good things going on, but maybe some renovation in my life. Others might say, I've been aware of this concept for some time now, maybe just some maintenance or maybe just some cleaning up Sprucing up is what needs to be done. But here's four words the Bible gives us. A godly home, a home that's been dedicated to the Lord, can be described as peaceful. It can be described as pure. And it's a place where you would find learning. We'll be more specific about that next week. And a place where you see loving. And with every one of these words, there are different definitions that come to mind. So we're going to have to agree on what these things mean and then look practically about how, what effort is required of me to cooperate with the Lord into making these things characteristic of the place where I live. So let me start off with the first one, peaceful. Here's my statement that I get from Luke chapter 10. A godly home is peaceful. And this next statement's not meant to be rocket science. Peaceful homes. Okay, what makes a peaceful home? The Bible gives us one non-negotiable. Peaceful homes are those occupied by peaceful residents. Now, the Bible could say a peaceful home is one with a certain number of square feet. Doesn't say that. Could say a peaceful home is only one that is a single family detached home with no neighbors that share common walls. Doesn't say that. Could say a peaceful home is the one occupied by just one person on some beautiful island. It doesn't say that. It says a peaceful home has little to nothing to do with anything external. Because think about it, then peace would be exclusive of some. Because you don't have enough money. You weren't born to the right place. Your family's too big. Your family's too small. You don't have a family. You have too much family. The family that you like, you wish you didn't have and you can't start over. I don't know what the problem is. But the Bible is very clear. The primary influencer and how peaceful your home is is the temperature of the people who live in it. Let me show you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is getting ready to do something he hadn't done yet. He is getting ready to, he's having a team meeting and he's got 72 of his followers, 36 groups of two. 72 disciples, and you're thinking, well, I thought there was only 12. There were many more. We have the 12, but there were many other followers of Jesus. And he comes up with a new strategy in his travel itinerary. He knows in his mind there is some, uh, uh, some visits he's going to make to certain towns and villages. But he doesn't roll out to everybody the itinerary. He decides to send these 36 groups of two out in advance. They're supposed to go to these villages before Jesus gets there and prepare those villages for Jesus' arrival so that when he gets there, they're 
more ready for him. They're going to be more receptive to his teaching. They're going to be looking forward to him coming, to bringing his ministry of healing and teaching and talking about the kingdom of God. And so he sends these 36 people out in advance, and he's going to send them. He's basically saying, I want you to go in these towns and work for me for a few days. He does not give them a per diem. You know what a per diem is? Any of you know what a per diem is? Okay, he does not give them any meal money in advance. He doesn't give them any luggage. He has not made reservations on his Marriott Bonvoy account for them. And it seems kind of reckless, like, okay, boss, you're sending me on a business trip, and yet you're not going to give me any salary or food. You've not told me where I'm going to stay. But he actually does tell them where they're going to stay. It's this idea of host homes. How many of you have ever stayed in a host home? couple of you. When I traveled through Europe in high school as a musician, I played, uh, I played in a American Musicians Abroad, I played in a jazz band, and we traveled all over Europe for three weeks my senior year playing, you know, playing jazz music in all different clubs throughout Europe. Everywhere we went, we stayed in a host home. Some family, usually who spoke no English, opened up their house to me and my buddy Donovan, and we stayed there overnight. Jesus has this concept. He says, when you go in the towns, you're going to kind of cold knock on doors and enter into the house and figure out if this is a good host home for you. And here's, the, here's what they're supposed to do. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 10. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions. Maybe you've heard this part before. The harvest is great. Have you heard this? But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Wish I could stop here and preach a different message, and I know you don't, so I'm going to keep going. Next two words, now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now, here's this crazy verse. Don't take any money with you. This is way before cryptocurrency and credit cards and debit cards. He's saying go out for a trip without money. Doesn't say they don't have money, says don't take it. Don't take a traveler's bag. Don't even take an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Verse 5. Here's where I really started to pay attention. Whenever you enter someone's home. doesn't say if. He says when. You will enter people's primary residence, their address, and you're going to want to find a good place to stay. So the first thing you say is, may God's peace, shalom, may the spirit of shalom be on this house. What an awesome, nice thing to say when you walk into somebody's house. You would probably feel really silly if you did that today. You know, someone from the church invites you over for lunch. You walk through the door, they say hi, and you just walk in, and you get, like, really biblical, like, in your face, and you reach. May God's peace rest on this house. Very melodramatic, very pastoral, very serious. You might feel a little awkward doing that. But Jesus says, first thing you're supposed to do is pronounce a blessing. But then there's this interesting next word. What's the first word of the verse 6 so this there's a this means there's a condition here of how effective your spoken blessing is going to be if those who live there are already peaceful the blessing will stand here's the here's the sobering part if they are not already peaceful what will happen the blessing will return to you here's what Jesus is saying 
When you walk through the doorway, say these words, peace of God be on this house. Here's what he's also saying. Just you announcing that peace is to be on the house doesn't automatically mean the house will be peaceful. This is not magic. You cannot make peace in your home by enforcing it, repeating it all constantly, or just walking in the room and saying peace. That will not in and of itself produce shalom. What he's saying is, for God's blessing to rest on any address in its fullness, there's certain underlying conditions that must be present first, or it greatly reduces the benefit you can get from the Lord through your home. And and here, let, let me make this make sense. If the place you sleep at night is not peaceful, how much connection to Jesus are you really gonna get there? If it's not healthy, if the people under your roof are not right relationally with each other, if they don't live in a sense of fulfillment, if they're not well, if they're not spiritually whole, if, there are, if there's constant tension arguing, are you looking forward to being there? Are your, is, the, is the door of your heart open to receive from the Lord? No. What's happening is when you go into that environment, you have to take a deep breath before you walk through the front door and put all the walls up. And what Jesus is saying is, when I get ready to come to a town, I want you to create and cultivate an environment of peace. Find the the homes that are peaceful, and they look the same from the outside, but what makes them different is the residence on the inside. And if you walk through the doorway and just announce peace beyond this home, that blessing is going to rest there if the people there are already peaceful. But if they're not, just you announcing it needs to be peaceful changes nothing. Let me give you an illustration to make more sense. Regularly from the basement, I hear the banter of the nine-year-old and the four-year-old as it goes up the steps. And as a parent, you have to learn the difference between, uh, especially with two boys, the difference between pleasant yelling, that's part of their game, or unpleasant yelling, which means they've come to blows. And usually, you know, my wife and I have to have discernment about at what point we go downstairs and intervene with whatever's going on. And usually it comes to a point where we think one is in danger or quite frankly, where we've just had enough. And I walk down the steps and I encounter who knows what, usually the four-year-old cleaning the clock of the nine-year-old. I don't know how that happened, but it just does. Um, And I have to pull the four-year-old off the nine-year-old. And let me tell you what a lot of times that sounds like for me. It's like, enough. And what I'm actually trying to say is, peace. And usually that startles them both to the point where there is quiet, but not peace. You understand when we say peace and quiet? They're two different things. You can have quiet, that's not peaceful. And you can have peace, that's not quiet. Jesus never put a volume on peace, but Isaiah does. I'll read that to you in a second. But you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to to force peace the old school way. I'm just going to make you guys make less noise. And then, you know what I say? This is brilliant, right? You might want to write this down. I look at these two unrepentant souls, and I say to one of them, tell the other one you're sorry. I'm sorry. I say to the other one, say, I forgive you. And the four-year-old says, I don't forgive you. No, like, no. And when I say, no, repeat after me, I will forgive you. <laughs> you forgive him now. Fine, I forgive you. All right, are we all at peace now? Is that peace? It isn't. <laughs> it's an artificial 
treaty-enforced, brokered, incomplete peace that's just exchanged conflict for enforced silence. It has done nothing to the heart, nothing to the soul, and somehow I walk up the steps feeling like a million bucks. What Jesus says is I can't just walk down into that argument and say, peace on both of you, and go upstairs and have peace. It's saying peace is internal first. And it's a very sobering commentary to all of us. Because you know what that says? That says you having peace at home has most to do with you. Choices you make inside of you. And has less to do, I know this is going to be controversial, with your neighbors, with volume, with temperature, with repairs and projects, with your children or your parents. It's not to say those things have nothing to do with it. Romans 12, 18 actually says it this way. As much as it's possible for you, live at peace with everyone. It means that there does come probably some extreme situations where peace, despite your best efforts, is not possible. So there's some nuance here. But it's very, very, very clear from this passage and from the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament that the ability to have peace in your room, at your house, when it comes down to who has most responsibility, the answer is you. You have the most responsibility to bring peace into that because God says, I can supply peace to you and I can give you internal peace. And I don't have to get your neighbor to sign off on it. I don't have to get your ex to sign off on it. I don't have to get your boss to sign. I can provide for you a peace that exists even if the rain and the wind, all the externals are pounding down on you. Now, I don't mean to suggest that if you have neighbors with shared walls who like to practice their electric guitar at three in the morning, that your life is going to be serene. but you can still have peace in your heart from which to know how to rightfully respond to some of these external things. Peace, a godly home is peaceful. Now, when we think about peace, we think about no war, serenity. You know, if I asked you to draw a picture of peace, a lot of you would draw different things. They wouldn't all be the same picture. Some of you would draw a picture of a very quiet, tranquil place. Others of you, it would be a sound. Others of you, different aesthetics. None of those things are wrong. I just want you to know the word that Jesus used was shalom. And to the Hebrews, that's a bigger word than even just those things. In fact, to the Hebrews, shalom, let me read to you from Baker's Evangelical Bible Dictionary. Shalom means this. That concept is larger than and rests heavily on the Hebrew word shalom, which means to be complete or to be sound. The verb conveys both a dynamic and a static meaning to be complete or whole or to live well. The noun shalom had many nuances, but basically has four categories. Wholeness of life or body, i.e. your health. Two, right relationship or harmony between two parties or people, which is generally what I think about. I think about peace. I think about not having any hostility between me and the others I live in close proximity with. Number three, prosperity, success, or fulfillment. Number four, victory over one's enemies or an absence of war. 
Shalom is, and it is today. If you go to Israel today, it's both hello and goodbye. It's the greeting and the farewell. It's a blessing that they, that they say one to another. Shalom meant to act as a blessing to the one who was spoken. Fully translated, what you're saying is, may your life be filled with health, prosperity, and victory, completeness, and safety. So to the original here is a house of peace was a home, an address filled with people who lived complete lives and sound lives. They were emotionally and spiritually healthy and whole. They were in right relationships with one another. They lived fulfilling lives. There were no wars being fought within their walls. They felt complete and safe. That's the full definition of what a peaceful home looks like, feels like. I don't mean to suggest that everybody in this room has influence to change every one of those variables. Sad to say that we live in an age and a time where there are people, maybe even some of you, you don't physically feel safe at home. Talk to somebody, share with somebody. You're not alone. Find support, find help for that. But as a picture, and as a result of that, home is not a peaceful place for you. My hope is that and a peaceful home is not one you dread going home to. You need to sit in your car and collect yourself for 10 minutes before you go through the front door. That's a real experience many of us have shared. But that's not God's best in mind for you. A house of peace today means that whoever lives there is spiritually complete, emotionally healthy, relationally right, fulfilled, and they feel safe. Is that true of you today? Is that something you can bring to the table? Are there choices you can make? Bury this phrase in your mind and have the Holy Spirit bring it up the next time you have an opportunity to be an instrument of discord at home. This phrase, today I choose peace. Some things just aren't worth getting bent out of shape over. Even where someone puts back your simple green spray bottle. It's taken me years to get to that place. But I finally came to the point where I'm like, you know what? There exists a small possibility this might be my problem and not the just blatant disregard and disrespect of the other people in the home for where I keep my $3 bottle of green cleaning product. And I'm trying to be funny, but for someone like me, I found there was a whole lot of perceptions of disruptions at peace that were my issues that could be dealt silently in my heart by just saying, but I choose peace. You can choose peace. You can choose peace. Proverbs 3.33, the Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. One of my favorite, listen to this one, Isaiah 32.18, my people will live in safety quietly at home. They will be at rest. And then Matthew 7, 25. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built upon bedrock. Here's what it means. Even a peaceful house goes through storms. Don't think that peaceful means no rain, no wind, no externals that are gonna try and upset my peace. That's not what a peaceful house looks like. A peaceful house aren't people that live in ignorance pretending that everything's right when it's wrong. We don't walk around with rose-colored glasses on just overlooking issues. That's denial, and that's not what Jesus is asking. But Jesus says, if you build your house on a godly foundation, 
among other things, you will experience a peace that can still govern the climate even when the wind and the waves are banging on the house. Point number two, my final point. A godly home is also pure. It is regularly purged of sin through careful examination by light. For your house, I want you to understand, having a pure home, a pure heart, a pure mouth is not normal. You did not come out of the box set that way. We came into this world preferring our own way. Every single little infant comes into this world just kind of wired to say, I will scream, cry, fuss until someone gives me what I want. No one taught the baby that. They just came into the world saying, me first, me first, me first. The only way you keep something pure is through regular maintenance. I have, let's talk about OCD again. There's a certain space in my life I look at regularly. It's that little clear screen in my Honda that tells, that, that tells me where to go. I used to rely on maps and common sense, and now if I can't punch it into a, to ways, I feel like the whole world is crumbling around me, so I definitely have issues. But there's this little screen. You know that thing gets dusty? Drives me nuts. And then I looked up what dust really is. Made me sick. Like dead skin, ugh. So I, I bet four or five times a day, whenever I see a fingerprint or dust on that thing, I have this little microfiber, clean that thing off, get it, get every last little off. And you know sometimes not even four seconds later, some little thing orbiting around will just land on it. Have you ever sat by a window when the sun's coming through and it illuminates the... What kind of world are we living in? Like this is... I am telling you, yesterday, I made a commitment. I am going to clean that screen because I saw some things, some foreign substances on there. I could not for more than 10 seconds keep it dust-free. The only way I can keep that screen pure is by constantly, constantly scrubbing it and never stopping. It will not keep itself naturally clean. I know you're going to send me articles this afternoon of how to do this. Thank you, Jesus loves you and has sent you into my life to set me free. But you know, my heart and my house are no different than that screen. The only way they'll ever be clean is through constant purging by examination. My heart naturally sins. Every morning and every evening and throughout the day, regularly, I pause and I confess, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I just blew it over here. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And he purges my heart. And you know what I've noticed? Sometimes it doesn't even take me but a few seconds to mess up again. It's so frustrating. It just reminds me of who he is and who I'm not. And also lets me, my only hope of being pure before the Lord is saying regularly, bring your bright light into my heart because these goggles are already broken. They don't see everything clearly. In fact, it's possible there's some dust in my heart that I don't even think is dust. I don't even see it. If I want my home to be a place of purity, and the Bible is very clear, this is what the Lord wants for us. He wants our houses to be scrubbed clean. He wants our homes to have a zero tolerance policy for sin. 
This was consistent in the Old Testament. Way back in Exodus, he started talking to his people about this. When you get ready to do something really spiritual at home, before you do it, you scrub that house clean of sin. No tolerance. In fact, when you find the sin, don't even touch it. In fact, let me read you these verses that seem like they don't go together. Exodus 12, 19. This will speak to your heart. Listen to this. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. Now, doesn't that just change your life? It probably doesn't. You're thinking, what in the world? He's talking about how to get ready for something they called Passover. And this weird requirement that he gave them is for a whole week, no yeast is to be found in your houses. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 gives us an idea of what the Bible wants us to understand when it talks about yeast. This is what yeast represents. New Testament, Paul says to the Corinthians, you're boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says yeast is something that, sim- that symbolizes and explains and illustrates what sin is like. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, we see the power of what light can bring to the process. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a stand so its light can be seen by all who enter the house. A light helps in this way. All that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. Tomorrow we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A couple years ago, I just felt convicted in my heart that I took off from work every time that, you know, the government said that, you know, we don't have work because of a holiday. But I wasn't really understanding the meaning behind those holidays. And so, you know, I'm trying to be more thoughtful and intentional about how I practice these holidays. And so every year when we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Day, I don't every year go back and binge every movie, and I, I, I don't go that level every year. But one thing that has been meaningful to me is I've been collecting some of my favorite quotes of his over the years, and I keep them in a document, and I review them and see what jumps out to me every year, something that can inspire me. One of my uh, favorite quotes that jumped into my heart this week is this one, and it has to do with this. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. It helps me understand why I can't clean my own heart from my own sin because my eyes look through a sin lens. They don't see that color. I need the light of the Holy Spirit to help. In the Old Testament, when the Jews got ready for Passover to celebrate their deliverance from slavery, the Lord provided them with a very detailed and specific schedule for how to prepare their heart, their body, their food, and their homes for the celebration. And those preparations started well before the day of the feast would arrive. One of those assignments involved the thorough scrubbing of the entire house from top to bottom. They were to make it totally pure. They were to seek out and remove dust, dirt, and debris. And there was one specific substance for which there was no tolerance. It had to go before Passover or their house would be unclean. And that one, one thing, leaven, yeast. And I want you to see that God required the Jews to seek out and remove all yeast from their homes. And I know it sounds odd, but here's the reason why. Tiny grains of yeast, when combined with warm water and a little sugar, immediately begin to make more, to populate, to grow, to expand. So much so that when you put yeast into dough, even a tiny few molecules of yeast can change the entire character of the dough. And just as yeast leavens dough, so too does sin expand in our own souls. It often begins small, 
like a dry grain of yeast. But before you know it, it's grown into something bigger that compromises your entire person. Sin spreads and rises in us, puffing up our souls into someone other than who God created us to be. We're no longer, we're no longer pure. Now, at the Passover, when Jesus celebrated it, we got to a certain part. And if you remember back in, when Pharaoh set the people free and Moses had to go tell the people to get ready to leave, he said, get ready quickly. Well, but Moses, we don't even have time to make food for the journey. Our, we, we've got the dough here, but we, we have to put yeast in it. It has to rise to turn it into bread. Moses said, there's no time for that. You're just going to have to take the unleavened bread with us. And have you ever seen what happens to dough if you're trying to make bread and there's no yeast in it? What do you get? Flat, hard, you know, breakable. More like a, yeah, matzo or a cracker. And so... One of the reasons why the Jews integrated unleavened bread into the Passover was to remind them how quickly they had to leave. And so they would just make it over the fire. They would cook it to a cracker-like consistency because of how they'd put it on the grates over the fire. It would have stripes in it. Had no yeast. And yet, isn't it interesting at the Passover, Jesus gives them the unleavened bread and says, this bread is now what? My body, yeastless, sinless. Get it? You see the significance there? You know, Jews today still practice what we just described. The night before Passover, Jewish families have a ceremonial uh, exploration of the house using light, using a feather. And the reason why is because even when you found the yeast, you weren't supposed to touch it with your bare hand, right? You didn't want that. You, you used to sweep it up. And then they had to put it, put it aside, all the, all the leaven that they found. They put it aside overnight. And then on Passover day, they would burn it to indicate that it was no longer a part of their lives. So there's all, the, all those different parts of symbolism. I found a, a short video. It's three and a half minutes long. It's of a little Jewish family actually recording how they teach their son to, to follow through on this. So it's very fun. It's very interesting. It moves quick. Watch for the symbolism in here and all the richness behind this purging of their home from, from leaven. Let's watch together. Okay, we're ready to search. Hi, I'm Pira. I'm Josh. And this is... Pew, pew, Judah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Judah. This is our son, Judah. Judah, we're going on a scavenger hunt tonight. Do you know what that means? What? It means we're going to search our whole house. Do you know what we're looking for? What? We're looking for chametz. Bedikat chametz. It is the search for chametz, or the search for the morsels of bread or grains that you still have in your home. You hide, what is it, 10? Traditionally 10. Traditionally 10 little bits of bread, and in our family we use cereal, and we hide it around the house in 10 different spots. To do the traditional search, you'll need a candle, a wooden spoon and a feather. And you use the feather to sweep up the crumbs or the chametz that you have put around your house. And in our family, we, we use the candle, but we also use a flashlight using modern technology. So before we start the search, there is a blessing or a bracha to be said. So the bracha or the blessing goes like this. 
Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kiddishanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Al Biur Chameitz. Hey Judah, are you ready? We're gonna go search for the Chameitz. Matzah. <laughs> Give me a big yeah. Oh, yeah! <laughs> All right, let's go. We sometimes say that it's puffed up with our ego or it's our self-interest. And so one of the things that we do is we take chametz or this ego out of our lives because a Jewish value is to have discipline and have control over our impulses. We've just finished. We found all of our chametz lying around the house. It's in this special bag here. I'll be reading the declaration in Aramaic. Pira will read it in English so that we all know exactly what's being said. Ko chamira vechamia deika virshuti delo chamite udelo viarte udelo yedanale labatel veleheve hefker keafra de ara. Any chametz or leaven that is in my possession, which I have not seen, have not removed, and do not know about, should be annulled and become ownerless, like dust of the earth. And now we're going to take this bag filled with our last chametz and put it in a conspicuous spot so that we know where it is tomorrow when it's time for us to burn it. Happy Passover! You did it. tradition that their son is understanding. What a powerful statement, though, that I hear in that, that whatever sin I find in my house, in my heart, even if I didn't know that it was there, if I haven't removed it, I want it to become ownerless and removed like the dust of the earth. So what would it look like for you and I to take our address and conduct this type of a regular examination through the light of the Holy Spirit to remove anything at home that's not pleasing to the Lord. Because think about it, every time, every time you remove those things from your residence, you open up more space for God's presence to dwell, for you to connect, for you to recharge, for you to be encouraged, for you to find his love, for you to be able to, to express that to other people. So what might that look like for us? Well, the very first thing, we deal with the sin inside of us, inside of this home. And so I would encourage you, I wrote down these four practical steps. Pray and ask God to reveal to you anything in your heart and in your home that's not pleasing to him. God, start with me. Show me the things, the attitudes, the, you know, for me, even silly things like this shelf that I get bent out of shape about. That's contributing to unrest in my house. I want to be done with it. And you think, Pastor, that's so silly. It really isn't. I'm thankful that God showed me how some of my own attitudes, if they can be relaxed in him, can just make the way we get along at home that much more peaceful. But we ask God to help us. Second thing, look for idols. An idol is simply anything that occupies a space that belongs to God in your life. Or anything you look to to provide for you something that God uniquely and first wants to provide for you. 
And idols aren't always bad things. They're just things that easily and intentionally get put into places of priority that God wants to occupy. Things like our phones, our work, our computer, our television, our hobbies, our electronics, our food, our chores, our spouse, our children, our siblings. Sometimes we need to reorder those things at home. And I will tell you, next Sunday, we're beginning as a church 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm calling all of us to prayerfully consider something out of our diet that we can abstain from with God's help for three weeks in order that we can focus intensely on our relationship with the Lord. What, a, what an appropriate time for us to extend this into our homes because every time you think about food for those three weeks, there's going to be a spiritual connotation for that and you will be shocked how often you think about food. Maybe you won't be. I was. I'm like, man, I like to reward myself for getting something done with a snack. I like to pick myself up from something I failed at with a snack. I like to begin the day with a snack, end the day with it. I was thinking about food a lot. I like, well, sometimes I just want to watch TV and the Food Network, and there's just snacks everywhere on there. But when you start thinking about my diet in relationship to the Lord, that heightens your spiritual sensitivity to things. What a great way to, to pair kind of a slow scrubbing of your home and your heart during a fast. Number three, Remove any objects that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I want to just say this. If there's things that you say at home, jokes that you tell, things you think about, books you read, games you play, movies you watch, music you listen to, that the Holy Spirit can't participate in that with you, you probably shouldn't participate in it at all. And it takes some courage and some conviction to say, maybe there's literally some things in my house that are connected to people, memories, there's some things at home that grieve the Holy Spirit, and I need to remove them. I, need, I just need to remove them. It's time. It's time to get, to get rid of them. That's a decision between the Holy Spirit. And the last thing I wrote was change the station and adjust the temperature. And I'm not talking about, you know, finally coming to a group understanding of how hot or cold the house should be or what radio station to listen to. Our lives, in a way, our soul gets to choose what station it's listening to all the time. It gets to influence the temperature with which you live. And sometimes our state, the station of our heart is tuned to the, we're broadcasting on the flesh station and it needs to be broadcasting on the spirit station. Here's some of the ways you can change the station and the temperature. Start to choose kindness over selfishness. Adopt an attitude of humility and look for what others need not just what you need. Be gentle and patient. Forgive others. Some of you are thinking, well, but I live by myself. Listen, here's a big one. Forgive yourself. If you're not comfortable with you, living by yourself is no more peaceful than living with a group of seven people who are arguing, right? Forgive others. Be filled with love. Let peace be in charge. Be thankful to the Lord yourself and to others. Let scripture penetrate you deeply. Don't be afraid to worship God with your singing. Keith, team, will you come and join me up here? You all received a, a card on your way in, and I just want you to, to pull that out. Just think about it for a moment. Is God inviting you to dedicate your address to him and to his purposes for you? 
Do you feel inspired and invited into a process with the Holy Spirit where he will either help you to build or to demolish, to renovate or to maintain, or maybe just to scrub the place where you live right now so it can be even more consecrated to the Lord? I will tell you, it is absolutely for your benefit. It's absolutely for your benefit. For you, for everybody who enters your home, it's for your benefit. I am taking this seriously. If you say yes to this next week at both 9 and 11, we're going to have a moment of dedication where I'm just going to pray a blessing over your home, over the residents of your home, over the people who live there, the person who lives there. And if you've caught today at all, that blessing will mean absolutely nothing if it doesn't fall onto a heart that desires blessing and peace at home. Me just praying over your home doesn't magically change anything. But it's a prayer of bringing your heart and God's will into alignment. Two things we're going to do a step further. I know Deuteronomy 6 talks about, you know, writing things on the doorposts and writing things on the wall. And I was thinking, well, what does that look like? Should I give everybody a can of paint and tell you to go home and go at it? I think that that would be a disaster. But what we have landed on is we're, everybody who wants to have a home dedicated, we've, we've purchased a, a little uh, letter board. It's a... It's a got a wood frame and it has the little slats in it out of black fabric and it will give you a kit of letters so that you can customize you can put a scripture reference a word several words a sentence a family mission statement but something on that little letter board that you can put in a visible place of your room your home your dorm room wherever it is that you sleep at night to remind you this is a place I've dedicated to the Lord the second thing is that I want to commit to uh, I want to commit to getting to your address to so just pray at your address for you. It doesn't have to be at a time when you're home. In fact, probably easier for you and for me, for me to just be able to totally not disturb you. But I want to let you know that I was there. and I want to communicate to you that I prayed for you. And so um, that's why we ask for your address so that I have an accurate idea of where to go. I can plan things out efficiently. But also I want to let you know what I prayed and that I prayed. So what would be the easiest way for me to communicate that to you? Would you like me to leave a note for you at your property when I'm there? Or would you rather me just record something, you know, 20 or 30 seconds of that and message it to you somehow? It gives you the opportunity to, to explain that to me. But most importantly, I want, there's no point in us praying a dedication prayer over your home if your heart has not been surrendered to Christ. So would you bow your head and close your eyes with me that I might pray over you this morning? We pause this morning. Every week we do this. We pause this morning. I gave an invitation and another, another one of our adults. I, I didn't recognize her. It might have been her first time here. She came with some other family. At the very end, uh, she prayed that prayer with me, raised her hand and made a commitment to follow Jesus. I wonder... I wonder if you're ready for that today. Would you like to come into God's family? He's been waiting for you. He wants you to come in. He wants you to sit around the table with all of us, your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Are you ready to accept his free gift of salvation by putting your faith in Jesus, by surrendering control of your life to the Lord through the marvelous grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you're ready for that and you want that, you just confess that to Jesus. You just tell him, and you might not even know exactly what to say. There's no script, but let me suggest to you a simple prayer you can pray. You can pray this right now. Dear Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, and I've been living life pretty much my own way. But I recognize I've been disobedient to you. I've broken your law. And I fully understand the consequences of that mean that you and I can't be together. 
But today I'm filled with hope because I've heard and I believe that Jesus Christ has already paid off my debt to you. And so today, Lord, I want you to apply that payment to my account through my confession. And my confession is this, Jesus, you are the son of God. You lived a sinless life. You died as my substitute on the cross. You paid my debt in full by your blood. God accepted that payment from you. And to prove it, he raised you from the dead to show everybody that death is now defeated through your son, Jesus. And I believe you, Jesus, when you said, if I put my faith in you, you'll do the same to my life. You will raise me up to live eternally with you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you to come live inside of me. Jesus, I receive that free gift of salvation. I welcome you into my physical home of my body. And now I ask your leadership to help me cultivate my address to be a place where you can dwell in all of your glory. In your name I pray, amen. Keep your eyes closed for one moment. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, God heard it. There's a party in heaven. You are gloriously and marvelously saved. I wanna just ask you to do one thing. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I'm gonna count to three. Would you just slip up your hand? You can make eye contact with me. You can put your hand right back down. I won't embarrass you anymore. I just wanna celebrate with you. So if you prayed that prayer with me, slip up that hand. One, two, three. Anybody pray that prayer with me at all this morning? I'll make sure I'm looking around. Awesome. Awesome, okay. Family, every head up, every eye open. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me this morning as we close our time together today? Our team's coming. We're gonna receive the Lord's tithes and your offerings. I have a pretty cool testimony of something God did in in, uh, my family's life, Um, but I don't have time to share that this morning. I'll share it next week. I just wanna say thank you to those of you who have been faithful in giving. We so appreciate it. We're so thankful for it. I want you to know your giving is being immediately reinvested for good use in the kingdom. Souls are being saved. Lives are being changed. Ideas that we've had for years, we're saying yes to. We've been able to move forward with all the tangible things we need to do to do things like baptism Sundays and and plan for launching of these new ministries that we did this year, Royal Rangers Girls Ministry, Family Night, uh, Celebrate Recovery. We've got other things on the docket that are coming this year, like Vacation Bible School in the month of July, uh, like uh, more outreach in the month of September, getting back to doing a full slate of movies in the park. There are additional missionaries that are in a queue right now waiting on support from us. We're able to do that because of your giving. I know that there's staffing needs that we have and other things, and we're waiting on the Lord for all of those different things. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I know for so many it is a sacrifice. It is an act of obedience to the Lord. I know there's other things that you could do with those finances. But I know this, it touches God's heart when we put him first in our finances. It just shows that you trust him and that he really truly is first. And to your faith community, to this family, it's a, it's an act of love to your, to your faith community. And so thank you for that. I am going to pray over our offering today. You can give here in person today. You can give online. And thank you for all of you who have already given digitally online. When we're done praying for the offering, Keith and the team are going to lead us in a closing song of worship. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you. If you'd like prayer, just come down to any one of us. We'd be happy to pray with you. And we've concluded that song. Pastor James will dismiss us. Jesus, I pray your blessing over my brothers and sisters today. 
reveal to each one, you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. You are the great shepherd who guides us by, you guide us in places where we can eat and where we can drink. And so, Father, I thank you today. I pray over anyone who's in financial duress today. Lord, I pray peace over their lives, over their hearts, and I pray the release of provision to them. For those of us who are not in financial duress, may we ask you, Lord, is there anything that we can do with our finances above and beyond what we've already done to expand your kingdom? Show us, inspire us for what we can do, even if it's just a one-time thing to be able to, to help advance the cause of your kingdom. We surrender it all to you. We love you. We trust you. In your mighty name we pray. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with Him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.